You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by CurioSoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. Thanks again for listening to the show. This interview is inspired by a quick meetup at the Game Developers Conference. I'm here at GDC, and with me is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is David Gilbert. I'm the CEO of Wajedai Games. And uh, what types of games do you make? I do point-and-click graphic adventure games, the kind that you uh, played back in the day from LucasArts and Sierra. Um, so I make those. And what titles do you have out? I have three titles out right now. One is called The Shiva. I have two in a series called Blackwell, the Blackwell Legacy and the Bla- and Blackwell Unbound. Okay. And um, so what inspired you to make uh, adventure games? Well, I loved them when I was younger. I just, I loved them. I, um, my best memories when I was a kid, which is kind of sad if you think about it, are, you know, playing Monkey Island or, you know, killing that wizard in King's Quest Three. I still remember doing that. Um, I just remember playing text adventures like Wishbringer and uh, all of that, and just visualizing the world and stuff like that. And I was never much of an action gamer type of guy. I just loved stories, and I just remembered... Uh, playing these games, and one day I found myself with the time, and I found a engine called Adventure Game Studio that enabled me to make the games, and I started making these games. <laughs> now, you said that you you made the Shiva, um, that had some notoriety. Um, <laughs> um, what was it about, and um, you know what inspired it? Well, the game was about a rabbi named Rabbi Russell Stone. He was a, he is a rabbi in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and he's been accused of a, a murder, and he has to go out and, and clear his name. And it was really inspired by a number of things. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do, I had written a freeware adventure game that started Detective, and the main criticism of it was that the detective didn't have a personal stake in the mystery. And I wanted to have a detective that had a personal stake in the story. That was one thing that uh, inspired me. The other thing was I had spent a year in Asia, and I'm Jewish, and it was the first time in being a, being a New Yorker, I was always around Jews. And in Asia, it was the first time in my life that I had been around so few Jews. I don't think I met a single one when I was out there. And what was even weirder, uh, many people I talked to never met Jews either. And some had never even heard of Jews. And it was the first time in my life that I really was consciously aware of being Jewish. Being a New Yorker, you don't really think about that. And so when I got back home, uh, back to the States, and I found myself wanting to write a game, a detective game, no less. I just kind of was inspired by that. I wanted to write something Jewish. And that kind of what what started it. Okay, so you inspired to do that. Um, what was the process then of designing that adventure game? And um, you know, yeah, were there any issues as you were designing it? Really, the game uh, didn't. I didn't have any issues designing the game. I was worried. I was wondering how people would react to it. Whether non-Jews would get it whether Jewish people wouldn't like it because they would be offended or, or whatever, uh, whether they'd be offended by the title, which is Shiva, or they'd be offended by a, a rabbi as a, as a noirish action detective hero type. He's not really an action hero, but he does some pretty action-y things. Um, in terms of the development process, really I just sat down in a coffee shop all day and, and worked on it. I had a, a guy help me with the background, someone help me with the music, and, and so on. Really, it was a pretty uh, easy project. It only took me a month, really, to to finish the majority of it. And once you finished it and you released it, what happened? <laughs> well, um, 
I originally released it for free, and people really liked it. It actually got interviewed for a um, for a Jewish newspaper. It was the first time I was ever interviewed for any game I ever made, and I thought it was really cool. And it really is what inspired me to start going into uh, professional game design. I took the game, I got some other artists, and uh, an artist, and a professional composer, I got voice actors to kind of up the quality a little bit, and then I started selling the game just as a, just as a test. I had to end up removing the freeware version, which caused some strife, but uh, now no one knows that it was even freeware to begin with uh, until now. But uh, it's what really inspired this whole thing. Uh, it's what inspired me to do Blackwell and, and continue try to do this full time. So I have the Shiva and Rabbi Stone to thank for that. Um, when you started selling it, were there any surprises in what you expected in terms of sales and just the types of people who are purchasing the game? Well, yes and no. I didn't quite know what to expect. I expected it to... I kind of banked on my reputation as a freeware developer a bit. Well, people know me from freeware and they like my stuff, so you know there's bound to be enough sales to keep me going until I finish my uh, my next game, Blackwell Legacy. So, but I was I was totally off. Like there was no um, major sales at first. There were a couple, and then every little bout of um, publicity that I had, I thought, okay, this is it. You know, it's all going to come now. Like I demoed the game at a New York IGDA event called Demo Night, and everyone loved it, and they all clapped, they loved the game, and I'm like, all right, tomorrow I'm going to have a whole bunch of sales. Nothing. Uh, so I guess I kind of overestimated, underestimated the work that you needed to do in order to sell a game. So it was a big eye-opener for me. I learned a lot from the process. Um, were you then concerned when it wasn't selling that maybe what people were saying about graphic adventure games being dead was going to hold true? Well, with Shiva, no, because... I, it was kind of a test to begin with, and I, I figured the, it was held back by the fact that it was a short, b um, the graphics, even if even I'm getting tongue-tied, even being very low-res graphics, they were still kind of not very good quality. I originally made the game in a month, so. And also, it was originally freeware. A whole lot of people played the game when it was free, and also I sold the game really cheap. So it was a number of factors involved with Shiva that made me think, okay. I did all this stuff wrong, um, I'll get it right next time, and that'll be the official litmus test of whether this is really going to work or not. So you start on your second game. Um, what was that game, and what inspired it? Okay, uh, the second game was called The Blackwell Legacy, and it is about a medium named Rosa Blackwell and a spirit guide named Joey. And Rosa is kind of a kind of a bit of a social misfit, very awkward young lady living in New York City, and she's approached by this ghost who uh, says, "Hey, guess what? I'm your family spirit guide," and they have to go investigate supernatural stuff. And that's kind of it in a nutshell. And it had a few uh, incarnations. It started off as a freeware game back, I think, 2003. It was called The Stores of Eternity. It's actually still on the internet. Uh, and it was just a very I had no idea what I was doing in terms of making a game. Um, and it wasn't very good, but it was free, and I released it, and people seemed to like it, even though it wasn't complete. It was kind of a first part, and what intended to be a series, and I decided I wanted to recreate it and make it commercial, and I kind of took the big, epic, massive story I had in mind and planned on making it commercial, and uh, it was going to be massively huge, and it was too massively huge, and I gathered a team together, and the project died because it was too big, and when I finished Shiva, and I knew I wanted to do um, a game. I really wanted to do something episodic. I had an idea to do something episodic, and I decided to take Blackwell, kind of retune it to kind of fit an episodic format, and it works a lot better this way. 
and um, I took the first section of the original big game and made it into like one standalone episode, and I'm kind of going on from there. Aside from making it episodic, did you do anything different in terms of developing or designing the game compared to Shiva? Let me think. Um, anything different? Yes and no. I mean, with Blackwell, I felt like I learned... It was my first game that I really intended to sell. And I tried to do... You know what? It's hard to say, because I, I had the game in mind. I already designed the game, like years beforehand, so I didn't really do anything different in terms of production. I knew I, I paid more upfront for it. I actually intended, uh, I paid artists upfront for the work, and I worked really hard to get team members. It was actually a lot more difficult than I thought. Well, Shiva was kind of this little fun project. Blackwell was a much bigger project, even if it was a little game, so um, I had to get artists to commit to it, and that was difficult because um, coming from the freeware scene where everything was kind of a hobby, working with them when they realized it was going to be real work, a lot of them kind of bailed. It took me a long time to get people to really stick to it. Uh, one guy, it actually worked out well because I had a background artist who kind of bailed out three-quarters of the way through the project, and which sucked for me, but it, it also worked out well because I didn't have to pay him for the work he did. He never actually gave me any payment information, so I never had to pay him. Um, but then I found someone else who was even who was a thousand times better, and he's still with me now. So... Um, in terms of manage in terms of team management, I did a lot of things different. Yeah, can you talk about that team management a little more? I mean, were there any other things that you had to do to make sure that your team was gelled and actually got the work done? Sure. Um, it's it's a difficult thing, especially coming from where I was, where I had very little money to work with, and uh, the the usual plan is okay. We're all going to work and share the profits at the end, or give everyone a commission. That way, they all work hard to make a great game because everyone will get the profits at the end. So we want to make it good, so it'll sell. Um, that works. That doesn't really work because basically you're saying, hey, do all this work for me for no money for a game that might be finished and might sell, and that's not going to work. And what worked with Blackwell is that the development period was very short, so they knew that they'd see the results of their work, i.e. the money, a lot sooner than if the project was going to take three or four years. And in terms of management, I kind of looked for early warning signs. Like if they wouldn't return emails for like weeks or, or even less than that, or they just were very flaky or blah, 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 you know, they just, you look for, you learn to learn that. You learn to look for warning signs about team members, uh, you know, loyalty. And you get if you feel like a jerk for doing it, but you gotta let them go and you gotta replace them. It's very draconian in a way. But I I intended when I started this is that I really wanted to earn my living doing this, and I needed people who were loyal, even if I couldn't pay them right away. Um, I wanted people to kind of realize, okay, he's on his way somewhere, and he'll be able to pay us later. And um, for the people who stuck it with me, they're kind of seeing that now is that I'm able to pay them more now. I'm actually paying them a lot more now than I was for the first game that I did. So um, I think that's worked out reasonably well. Can you talk about some of these warning signs? Some of the what? Some of the warning signs that she, that would trigger off you wanting or having to let people go. Okay. Um, why did I say let people go? It, <laughs> that sounds evil. But find a better opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I sound so evil in corporate. Um, I guess the <laughs> – well, the main thing is is that they stop working. Like they – you just don't, okay, say, hey, can you get something to me by a certain day? And then you he that day arrives, and there's no email, no nothing. And 
and you write them, say, hey, what's going on? You don't hear back from them from a week. And you might hear, oh, sorry, sorry, I was busy. And you give them for the benefit of the, of the doubt that one time, but then they repeat that a number of times. That is obviously the biggest warning sign. Um, if they seem to be constantly busy, seem to, you know, just not reply. Um, usually my way of thinking is, hey, you know, just touch base every couple of days. You know, it's one email every couple of days is not a lot to ask. If they can't be bothered to do that, then, you know, then they can't be bothered to do much else, I feel. And also, it's it's not just on them either. It's also on me, the team leader. Like, it's very easy for me to, like, get bogged down in, in life and my own work and not touch base with them. And it's as far as for me to, like, hey, you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't touched base with this person in a while. I have to speak to them. So it's not just them. But if they're not replying, if they're not giving you any kind of feedback, even if it's just to say, hey, I've made no progress, I'm sorry, especially if you're working with a very indie team, they have paying gigs. And as a leader, as a team leader, you have to understand that they're not in, they're not working with me for the money. They're working with me because... I have a reputation, and they like working with me, and I'm kind of banking on that. But at the same time, I am in it to make money. I need to earn my living. I have a dog to feed, <laughs> and, uh, and myself too. Um, I need people who are loyal and I can trust to do the work. Um, you know, one of the other game developers talked about how everyone on the team had an absolute belief that this thing would work. Um, I mean, is there anything that you do to make sure that everyone on the team shares the vision? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Um, is there anything that you do to make sure that everyone on the team shares the vision and can keep motivated to work work on this when they're not getting paid? Um, like I said, the what worked for me, my games, the development cycles were very, very small. So asking people to work for like four months or so wasn't that difficult. Um, Blackwell Legacy was like that. Blackwell Unbound, the sequel to Blackwell Legacy, actually... Um, I just, you know, uh, what was good with that, they all were on MSN, all the team members were on MSN, and it was just all day we'd just be chatting with each other and cracking jokes like we were in the same office, and just creating a very friendly atmosphere usually helps. Um, a lot of people, when they're really hardcore professionals, they don't, they're not on MSN all day, so it's hard to develop that kind of rapport, and especially if they're all over the world like they usually are. Usually I just touch base, you know, just be friendly, you know, don't try to get into, you know, team leader, you know, I'm the boss mode. Uh, when things get very stressful, it's easy to do that, but I'm, I'm, I don't ask for much, really. I'm sounding very corporate now. I, well, what about outsourcing? Um, did you think about doing that as compared to actually trying to find people within your area? Um, within my area? Well, it's, it's tough. The outsourcing thing, uh, I'm doing that now, actually, because I have a, a project now that I'm, I'm doing now with, uh, with Play First, and so I'm outsourcing a lot of the artwork uh, to local people, to people in New York, which is great, because working with people on the Internet, it, it, it can work, but it's nice to have people that you can see once in a while. It really drives, makes it real, you know, it really makes it the project just real to see the team members face to face. It's like it's a real office and a real project, and it's not some esoteric disembodied lines or words on the on the internet. So that, um, I've, I'm doing outsourcing now. Before, I, I guess would you consider using freelances? freelancers outsourcing? Or? Yeah, that's part of it, but with outsourcing, you know, you can get on Elance or something and actually find someone in Russia to do it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, I've never done that. I haven't done that yet. I mean, these games are very, like, I've tried that, but um, I find that outsourcing pixel art, the kind I want, is difficult. Okay. 
is very difficult. Like it's very um, the outsourcing tends to be mostly 3D art and uh, or vector animation and stuff like that. There's not a lot of um, outsource. There's not a lot of outsource facilities for for pixel art. So you finish that game, and, and what happens then? Um, Blackwell Legacy, you mean? So you tried to, you released it, I mean, did you try to sell it, or, or I mean... Uh, <laughs> I released it and slept for a week. I, um, I kind of really pushed hard to get that game out and reasonably on time, which was a mistake and not a mistake. Um, I announced a deadline before I even started the game, which was a, probably a mistake, because that deadline was looming, and there were like 10,001 bugs, and I'm suddenly like up till 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock every morning just glaring over a cup of coffee, just trying to finish this thing on time. As it was, I finished it a week later than I planned, and even that destroyed me. I'm like, oh, God, a week late. Now, I just, after I nearly destroyed myself, literally, I nearly destroyed myself making that project, I just decided, okay, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and, uh, but the one thing I didn't prepare for when I finished Legacy, much like Shiva, was the amount of work involved in selling the game. Shiva, I didn't really push to sell the game, mainly because... The game was only five bucks, so I didn't really push that. But Legacy, I wanted it to sell. I was selling that for a little more. I was selling that for 15. And so I was really, I wanted that game to sell. And I pushed it to review sites, and there was a lot of word of mouth at first. And that helped a lot. And then that eventually dried up. And then it came to, oh, God, i got to actually do some marketing and selling and PR and rah. And I had to figure it out. I had never done that before. And I really, I needed to either sell the game, work on selling and marketing, or make the next game and it was a every day I had to decide what I wanted to do which is why the second game took much longer to make than I originally planned and uh, so it was just the marketing the selling the customer service I learned a lot in that time about about how to do all that it was it was a, another big eye-opening experience for me not something I was prepared for what about user testing did you do any user testing before you released the game I had beta testers yeah um, Mostly to look for bugs and spelling errors and any usability things. And at the end of Blackwell Legacy, there's a puzzle where you have to get past a, a guard. And it was a lot more nasty when uh, um, people still don't like the puzzle. <laughs> but it was a lot worse originally. Uh, you have to like hide in this alcove while the guard walks past you. And then you can walk into another room. Originally, I had you had to walk like, behind a wardrobe and you, while he walked past you again in order to get to the next room. And... No one liked that, so I got rid of that. Um, and people still don't like the guard puzzle. <laughs> no more guard puzzles, I promise, in future games. Um, so that was a result of beta testing. Yeah. Now, about the marketing and PR and all that other stuff, um, you know, what, what would you say are the top three lessons that you've learned related to actually making good marketing or PR? Or I guess number one is that uh, you know, just got to be pleasant to people. You know, like you get emails from people who complain or who are nasty, even on um, or internet forums. People uh, people will say good, uh, they'll say bad things about your game, even if you think it's great, um, or even if you know it's if you even if you agree with them. You know, you can't reply. You can't rise to it. If someone says really bad things about your game on an internet forum or on a even an email or something, you can't def don't defend it. Just don't. Don't even go there. Just ignore it. Or just, if it's an email, just reply saying, I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, thanks for playing. You know, just be nice. Because you don't want, that can come back and haunt you. Someone on my um, forum recently said something about the game, and I was so tempted to come up with this witty reply, but I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to. Uh, just because you don't want to get that reputation of being, of 
you know, being ultra defensive of your work. Or that comes back to haunt you. Uh, if something gets on the internet, it never goes away. So you got to be careful. Uh, there was that. Um, what else did I learn? I guess just in, um, you know, just just finishing the game isn't the end. You know, there's that's half only like half the battle. There's just so much more to do, and you gotta you gotta um, budget for that. You gotta schedule your time to to follow up on the work. You know, even just making updates to the to the game and stuff like that. That's important. You know, building a community also was a big part of it. I just really wanted to encourage like fan art contests and and encourage this community stuff. And that's something I haven't gotten around to doing yet, but it's something I really want to do. I have a a website. Um, the main character of Blackwell is going to have a her own website soon, and that's going to have some cool stuff on it. And I haven't done all that yet, but I want this community aspect to like to go beyond the Blackwell games and expand beyond other stuff. I want to have some little viral videos and stuff like that. And I haven't gotten around to that yet. I'm only one guy, but soon, soon. Um, what about then the second title in the series? Um, you know, how'd you go about developing that? And was it any different than developing the first one? Yes, it was uh, an interesting story with the second game. Um, Blackwell Unbound was originally going to be the Blackwell Convergence. And it was going to be a much bigger game. It, uh, it starred the main character of the first game, and there were flashbacks within the game where you portray the main character's aunts back in the 70s who had the same spirit guide. And they both were investigating um, two different, different things, but they both kind of had to do with each other. And I decided it was too big, and I cut out the flashback sections. And back, I think, in May of last year, 2007, I realized that, I mean, I was selling... The, the sales were drying up, and... Blackwell Convergence was going to be too big. Like, it was just, I was worried I wasn't going to have the budget to finish it. And I realized the only way I can keep the studio going was to release something new, something small that I can just get out. So I took the flashback sections and kind of retuned them, renamed it Blackwell Unbound, and released it as a standalone game on an extremely micro budget. Um, I think, in, uh, in most every respect, except for graphics, uh, and the game is much superior in terms of like dialogue, voice acting, the music is so much better. The graphics, I mean, more power to her. Erin Robinson did an amazing job, but she did it all herself. You know, normally there's someone doing the background, someone doing the animations, and you know, they're able to concentrate solely on each area. She did an amazing job doing it all herself. She did every pixel of that game was her. And um, you know, and she was also off for the summer, willing to work within a really micro budget. Everyone worked on a really micro budget, but it was still it was probably the most fun fun game I've ever worked on because it was like this little in, little indie thing. Uh, it was a lot of fun to work on. It was one of these games that was probably the production process like a reward for all the angst that came before it. And I learned a lot from Blackwell Legacy in making that game, so it was it was a joy to work on. And I wish I could make every game that way if it was you know fiscally <laughs> possible. After you released that, did you do anything to develop the community that was, you know, visiting your site or, you know, to help just build a better brand presence for the series itself? Well, after Blackwell Unbound was released, um, Blackwell Legacy got put on the casual game portals, which um, really helped in terms of just exposure and worked out. What was kind of cool is that they wanted to take Blackwell Legacy. They weren't sure about Blackwell Unbound. Uh, we'll see how Legacy does first, they said. And that kind of worked out well for me because the casual gamers who really liked the game came to my site and bought it for me directly. And then the casual porters started taking Blackwell Unbound a lot faster. Uh, so that worked out well for me. And so after 
during those couple of months, the forum just exploded. Like, there was just so much more stuff going on 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 my forum and stuff, and I was I had trouble keeping up with it after a while. I just tried to, you know, just reply to most everything, and um, I started having, uh, I got involved with some other casual sites like um, the Game Fairy. I don't know if you've heard of her. Uh, she scheduled a, a trivia contest with me, and I was trying to get involved in other, other gaming communities to kind of bring the brand out there. It's something I'm still working on, and it's something um, that I still have trouble with, because really my main focus has always been making games, and the marketing stuff is not something I ever was really comfortable with. Actually, someone recently emailed me offering to help with marketing stuff. I have a personal blog, and ages ago I had written that, uh, you know, does anyone want a marketing internship? Ha, ha, ha. And this woman emailed me saying, if you need help, you know, I'm, uh, you know, let me know. And I emailed her, and she seemed really serious, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, so uh, it's the maintaining the community and the marketing stuff is something, I'm, like I said, I'm still in the dark about. Uh, so I'm glad with this this publishing deal with Play First, they're dealing all that. They're dealing with all that. So, um, what inspired you then to find a publisher, and how did that process work? I was inspired to find a publisher when they came to find me. <laughs> they actually approached me, which is uh, I hear is unusual. Um, really, what happened was I was nominated for a Choice Award last year for uh, Best New Studio, and I didn't win. But I was in the I was at the Play First party. And I met Solveig Pedersen and Kenny Shea Durkin, and uh, Kenny sat me down, and, you know, we were a little drunk at the time, and he's like, you're a genius. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and he's like, how would you feel about a publishing deal? And uh, I'm like, okay. And uh, at first, I, I didn't really take it seriously. I have to admit, I did not take it seriously, because I knew they were a casual game company, and I'm thinking... Do they just want me to make like a, a casual game, like taking my adventure game background and applying it to casual games? Like, I don't know if I can do that. And I, I kind of didn't really take it seriously. But then he approached me again, you know, and said, no, we really want an adventure game. And I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, sure. Awesome. So uh, I think I almost blew it <laughs> since I kind of I didn't take it too seriously. But I'm, I'm glad they, um, they, you know, were, were very proactive in, in reaching me because it's been, in a, it's been amazing working with them so far. Uh, can you talk about some of the benefits that you've gotten in terms of being able to either develop more games or better games? Or well, I mean, aside from the bucket loads of cash, no. Uh, <laughs> they have immense resources. Like, they have a whole staff doing art. They have a whole staff doing engineering. They have a whole staff doing, um, you know, marketing and PR. And when I tell you that, you know, um, someone can do that for me is the most wonderful thing ever. Just not be able to have to think about marketing and PR. I can just focus on making the game is wonderful. I mean, I still have my own staff, but they can use they can use Play First as a resource. I have an artist. They can contact the art director at Play First and get feedback and get you know whatever. Um, they, I'm in touch with them all the time. They have you know usability testing. I can use their beta testers. They have all this all this user tracking data stuff I don't know anything about, but apparently it's important, and they know all about that. Uh, I mean, me, I still consider myself just this guy that I sat, sits down in coffee shops and writes games, and, and in many respects, I'm still that guy, but I'm that guy with more resources, so it, it, it's been amazing. It's just been a to entering a totally other world, and it, what it means for me is that I can make the games that I want to make, and it also means that I don't have to give up on Blackwell in order to do this, because I have some extra money coming in that I can use to
build the assets for Blackwell while I work on this. While I, I'm not going to have time to work on it myself, I can still give money to the team and say, you know, just, just keep working. Here, here's a little bit of money, you know, before I, I would either give them a share of the profits or not be able to pay them until the very end. And now I can actually pay them to work now while I work on this, this Play First gig. So that's still being worked on. I don't have to give up what I love. Um, it means, you know, better things down the line. It means, I don't know what it means yet, but it's just uh, some, nothing I ever expected to happen two years ago when I started this. So it's been crazy. It's been wonderful. And how has the development process changed now that you have a publisher? Um, do you have to do anything different? Is it more formal, regimented? You know, they've been really supportive. Um, I mean, Kenny uh, from Play First, he told me today, he's like, you know, I don't want you to lose what you have. You know, you have that very indie sentimentality. I don't want you to lose that. And I'm glad because I... I like my little coffee shop lifestyle, <laughs> and it's not something, I, it's something I'm scared of losing, um, although I would, I would probably in, uh, improve my caffeine intake if, uh, if I did lose it. Um, I mean, really, the only thing it's, that's really changed is that I have people to fall back on, and I no longer feel alone in doing this. I always felt kind of, I did have team members, but I was really, everything was kind of on me, and now they're also shouldering some of the responsibility, because they're taking the risk on me. They're, they're you know, throwing a lot of money my way, they're throwing a lot of resources my way, and a lot of time, and trust my way, and that, that says a lot. That support really means a lot to me, so that, uh, in terms of production, uh, just having someone in my corner really means a lot to me, and it's helping a lot. It's inspiring. It's really inspiring. Um, can you talk about the game that you're doing for Play First, or is that NBA? Or? Uh, well, I can't talk about what the game's about. I can say that it's you know fully funded, full length, much higher production values than what I'm currently you know what people are currently used to for me and Watch That Games. Um, can I say anything else? Um, when, when's it coming out? Uh, I can't say that either. One person will say the word the at some point. I think I can say that. I think I'm allowed. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, where do you see the future of your studio going? Um, you know what? To be totally honest, if things remain the way they are, I'd be happy. But I'd like to get into publishing myself a little bit. Um, I'm actually in talks with someone about potentially publishing a game that uh, they're working on. I kind of saw it, and I said, hey, you know, I think this would work well in the casual space. And, and the person was like, really? You know, like, I, I don't know if I'd want to, you know, make a game sellable. I'm like, well, what if I paid you to do it? And I'd publish it. And they're like, wow, really? Oh, maybe. So we're talking about it. I don't know if things will go that way, but I kind of like the idea of being maybe a, a publisher for little indie games, trying to do what I did and not, la and not quite sure how to do it. I'd love to be able to help you know, people do that. I'd love to be in a financial situation where I can, you know, give some money to some promising indie folks and, and be able to publish them, be part of the, the Wajidai, you know, family or whatever. I think that might be cool. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen or if I'll be in a position to do that, but that's something I'd like to do in the future. And what are the top three suggestions or advice that you have for indie game developers looking to start out? Really is just Friggin' do it, guys. I mean, don't uh, don't hedge. Don't wait till you're out of school. Don't well, uh, wait till you're out of school. Yeah, wait till you're out of school. Uh, stay in school, kids. Um, if you're kind of just waiting for, you know, you just waiting to save money, or you're waiting till you're in a better, you know, uh, job situation, or you've got the time, or waiting till you have, um, you think you need funding, you know, don't. I made Shiva with no money. And it was a very short little game. Just, just get, just start making stuff. Get stuff out there. You know, just, just do it. it it's just, just getting, just 
act like a, just get in the mindset of a game designer. You know, there's dozens, hundreds, thousands of you know freeware, you know software development kits, engines. I use something called AGS, Adventure Game Studio. It helps you make uh, adventure games. There's other things out there like Wintermute. There's other, there's so many free uh, resources out there that you can use just to just to get your toe in the water. You know, just just do it, just try. Yeah, that's the first step. Uh, the second thing I definitely recommend is, you know, this is the old, old thing, just network. And uh, you don't have to be all super PR slick about it. Really just get out there and talk to people. I mean, when you go out to gaming events, if there's a uh, branch of the IGDA, the um, International Game Development Association near you, go, join, go to meetings, talk to people. I mean, really, at every, everyone is still that 14-year-old nerd that's playing video games and just talk about games. You don't have to be all super slick and passing out cards and everything to network. Just talk to people. You never know um, what people are going to be doing later or, you know, what's going to happen down the line. Just talk to people. Have fun. Enjoy it. You know, games are supposed to be fun, and if you don't have fun making them, people aren't going to have fun playing them. So that's really all I can say. Great. Thank you very much. No